0: Welcome to the CCF Iowa Podcast. Welcome back to the CCF Podcast. We'll be continuing our For Everyone series by looking at a couple stories out of Matthew 15. So, Last time, we were talking about Matthew 14 and, and primarily focused on the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And this week, we're going to highlight the feeding of the 4,000. But before I get into that, I wanted to, to look at the story that happens right before the feeding of the 4,000 because I think it's pretty significant in shaping and and uh, changing the way that, that Jesus starts to do his ministry at this stage in Matthew. So let me quickly read through verses 21 to 28 and it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So here we have a pretty interesting um dialogue, uh, thing that happens with, with Jesus again, performing a miracle. And and if you remembered what I said in, in our last podcast, that Jesus doesn't do miracles just to do miracles to, I mean, he even kind of directly says the beginning of this interaction that he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, which was basically a way of saying no, uh, I'm not going to help you at this point in time. That's that's not the focus of of my ministry. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And and yet he hears her argument and and then decides, okay, uh, I'm going to heal heal your daughter. And and then says at that very moment, once he makes that decision that that she will be healed, she is healed. So remember, Jesus does miracles. Not necessarily for the person that's doing uh, that he's doing the miracle for, although, again, sometimes it says he just has compassion on people, and so he does that. But he does it primarily to teach lessons to his disciples most of the time because those are the people that are there and observing and trying to follow and do what Jesus does. So what's the lesson that he's trying to teach here? Well, again, I, I think the place where we find Jesus... Uh, Whenever scripture says that that this particular thing happens in a specific place, I think it always benefits us to to look into that place and what makes this place different than some other place. There's a lot of times that Jesus is in and around the Sea of Galilee, but here he's near these villages, towns of Tyre and Sidon. And that's actually an area that's north of of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually kind of over by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it's, it's on the coast, and there's places where the region of Tyre and Sidon have shown up before, and we'll actually dig into one of those stories in a little bit. But Jesus goes up to Tyre and Sidon, and actually, uh, you may have remembered me saying that he was trying to get away to the solitary place when he fed the 5,000, I think largely because of hearing about John the Baptist's death, and he was kind of trying to find a solitary place to mourn. It seems like at this point, there's still been people following him and people following him in crowds. And so he goes way the heck up north uh, into an area of Gentiles, into an area where maybe not as many people have heard of him. I think he's still trying to just get away, to have time to mourn, um, because he's lost a, a relative, a friend, a teacher and John the Baptist. Yet even when he tries to get away, even in a Gentile region, there's a woman that finds him. And here she's described as a Canaanite woman, which is an interesting choice of words here from Matthew. Uh, Because honestly, at this point in time in history, there really aren't Canaanites left. There's been lots of other empires that have come into this region and taken over and, and quite frankly kidnapped and massacred people. And so the Canaanites have just kind of ceased to exist at this point in time. But she's described as a Canaanite woman. And again, I think that's because Matthew's trying to tie us back to an older time, to some older stories, to some other things that have happened in this area before. And so he uses the language of Canaanite, which would also help connect with his Jewish audience because the Jewish audience understands that Canaanites are not God's people because when they come into Israel, when they come into the region that previously was known as Canaan, they drive a lot of the Canaanites out of it. And that's kind of what the whole book of Joshua is about. Driving the Canaanites out of this region so that God can give them that land. So her, describing her as a Canaanite woman is interesting. There's another place where uh, uh, the gospel of Luke, I believe, uh, tells this story, but calls her a Syro-Phoenician woman because that's what the region is known as in Jesus' time and um no it's i think it's mark actually because mark is writing to uh more of a roman style audience and so identifying the, her with the reason that is was actually known as would make more sense for mark to do that anyway matthew is a jew writing to jews and so he uses language that the jews would understand a little bit more this woman is a gentile she's a pagan she's not jewish Which makes sense because when she tries to ask for Jesus to do something, he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, which is kind of basically saying you're a Gentile. You're not the person that I'm supposed to be reaching right now. Um, I'm going to save my miracles for for Israelites, which we've already had tales in Matthew where Jesus has actually done miracles for non-Israelites. But that's kind of been more the exception than the rule there's usually extenuating circumstances or something that that person says that jesus says huh you've got some other things going on i will do this miracle for you which is what happens here he he asks he says to her it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs and she responds but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table and then jesus says woman you have great faith your request is granted So that makes me think there's something in that phrase that she said that makes Jesus start to rethink things. And that's what seems to change Jesus' mind, that he should, in fact, do this miracle uh, for this woman because of the thing that she says. So we really have to start breaking down that phrase. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. It seems like something... I mean, there's some logic that makes sense. Um, Referring... um, Jesus just referred to... uh, Essentially, Gentiles as dogs. Um, by the way, uh, in Jesus' time, animal language metaphors would be used all the time of Gentiles. It's not nearly as offensive as we would take it today, but there might be a little bit of offensiveness to it because anytime you take a human and refer to them as an animal, I would say that's kind of offensive. But Jesus uses that language, dogs, to refer to Gentiles. And and she recognizes it, and she turns it back on him and says, okay, but dogs can still eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And so it could be just that logic where Jesus goes, yeah, I guess there's enough left over from what I'm doing that even the Gentiles could could benefit some from it. I'll go ahead and heal your kid. That's one explanation. I think what happens is is she's touching upon something even deeper, um, which she... I think realizes that she's touching upon um, that, that Jesus notices and catches onto because there's a story from back in the book of Kings. That's about Elijah. And it's actually tied to this specific region of Tyre and Sidon. So Tyre and Sidon, they kind of represent the region, but they're two separate cities uh, that are, that are a little bit of distance from each other in between those two cities that, again, kind of represent that region, is the city of Zarephath. And and for those of you that, that know Elijah and his stories, Zarephath is, is a place of great significance for Elijah, because there's a point in time when he says there's going to be famine coming on the land of Israel, and what God tells him to do is to kind of Leave the region of Israel to, to kind of get out of town because he keeps saying things that are really offending the king of the time who's kind of an evil king and who's looking to get back at, at Elijah. And so he says, Elijah, now's the time to get out of town because you've said some things that have upset them and they're actually happening. And so people aren't going to like you right now. So just go away. But the thing about this famine is is it's affecting more than just Israel. It's affecting the areas to the north of them as well where Elijah finds himself. And so in the city of Zarephath, he runs across this widow who's gathering sticks in order to make one last loaf of bread that her and her son can eat before they just starve to death, essentially. And Elijah says, which seems like kind of a bold statement, Elijah says, make me some bread first, and then you and your son can eat the leftovers. So essentially he's saying, bring the bread to me and then you can have my crumbs is one way that you can look at this. But the, the widow actually does this for Elijah. And then it talks about how God makes sure that she never runs out of oil. She never runs out of flour. She never runs out of the things she needs to keep making bread. And this actually sustains the widow, her son, and Elijah throughout this entire period of famine. God sustains them in a miraculous way because she was willing to listen to one of God's prophets and give him the first bit of bread and eat from his crumbs. And you could be saying, okay, there's some tie in there talking about crumbs and, and talking about, you know, Gentiles eating the crumbs that, that fall from their masters. But like, how does that exactly say Elijah? Well that word there from 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 master is the same word that's used of 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 a teacher of a rabbi it's it's that same terminology And the thing about that word that holds extra significance is from the Jewish perspective and the Jewish thought, Elijah was the first ever rabbi, the first ever person to have a discipling relationship when he brought along Elisha and taught him how to be a prophet of God. And so you've got the Elijah-Elisha relationship, and Elijah is referred to as, as the master and Elisha is the student. So that word "master" in the Jewish mindset has a significant, strong correlation to Elijah and Elijah's stories, and so her response is referencing in Jesus' mind Elijah and the story of of the widow of Zarephath, and and how God fed them and sustained them. And it wasn't that just that God only fed Elijah and only helped out the the, the Israelites. But God also fed this widow and her son from the crumbs. He fed the Gentiles. He provided for them as well. And so this is kind of her way of saying, maybe your ministry is first to the lost sheep of Israel, but that doesn't mean that we can't have some of it too. That doesn't mean that we can't have the crumbs of your teaching. That doesn't mean that we can't have a little bit of these miracles in our homes as well. And I think this might even flip a switch for Jesus. Now, there's going to be some kind of controversy because Jesus is God in flesh and he knows an incredible amount of things. But I think we have scriptural evidence that shows us that Jesus learns. He is human. He doesn't take all of his God powers. He doesn't allow them to advantage his position as a human on earth. He lives out as a human. That's what that Philippians verse talks about, how how yet while jesus was god he did not use that as something to be taken advantage of he very much was a human and 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 embodied what it means to be a human while he was on earth and so that means i think that jesus can learn and and so jesus starts to understand that his ministry isn't just to the lost sheep of israel but it's also for the gentiles and so Having this understanding, we move directly from this story to the feeding of the 4,000. It says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee, and then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking. The crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. So there's a couple of things that are happening here that I think tells us that when Jesus went from Tyre and Sidon, he went down along the Sea of Galilee, but he went back to the Decapolis. that Those 10 cities, that's what Decapolis means, 10 cities. Greek cities, Gentile cities, pagan cities, not a Jewish region. Now, why, why do I think that? Well, contextually within this Uh, Within Matthew 15, verse 31, the very end of it says, praise the God of Israel. And that's a phrase that's usually made and and talked about when you have um, people who are worshiping God, who are believing in God, who are trusting God, who are not Israelites, who are not Jews, who are not part of that connection to God's chosen people, but are either converts or people that that are recognizing who God is, God of Israel. Now that in and of itself doesn't guarantee that Jesus is in a Gentile area, but there's another part another text where this this story is mentioned because it appears in more than one gospel. It it shows up as well in in Luke. And in Luke, it talks about, the, very directly says that, that Jesus en- enters into the region of the Decapolis. Um, it it kind of says he's on the border and like on those outskirts, but definitely he's, he's gone into a different region. And I think he's, he's surrounded by a crowd here of Gentiles, that the 4,000 are in fact Gentiles. So it says in verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. This should sound a whole lot like the previous chapter in the feeding of the 5,000. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Again, in a remote place like they were with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? seven they replied and a few small fish And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground, much like he instructed the 5,000. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. They in turn to the people, exactly like with the feeding of the 5,000. They all ate and were satisfied, and afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, much like in the 5,000 feeding. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. And Jesus had sent the crowd away. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to to the vicinity of Megadan. So Jesus feeds these people in almost exactly the same ways that's described the feeding of the 5,000. The only thing that changes are the numbers. In the feeding of the 5,000, we had five loaves and two fish. Here we have seven loaves and a few small fish. We're not given an exact number. That's kind of maybe significant and interesting. Instead of having 5,000 people, we have 4,000 people. When he fed the... 5,000, there was 12 basketfuls left over. When he feeds the 4,000, there are 7 basketfuls left over. I spent a lot of my time in chapter 14 talking about the significance of the numbers in the story and what numbers represent. And in that story, the feeding of the 5,005 is a number that talks about the books of Torah. And so it's a Jewish number that represents the Jewish people. And and two is referring to the tablets of the law that Moses carried down from Mount Sinai. And, And so Jesus is Is using these metaphors, using these numbers in order to express that he's the new Moses and he's feeding the people of Israel, much like Moses fed them with Torah, with the law. That's what's happening there. And they pick up 12 basketfuls, again, a strongly Jewish number because it refers to the 12 tribes of Israel. So, so God has, Jesus has enough left over in His teaching for all the Jews. He's teaching a representation of of the Jewish community. But here the numbers are different. Seven uh, sometimes is known as the number of completion. It can represent that. There also has a Gentile flavor to this number Uh, because in Joshua, when, when Joshua comes into the land of of Canaan and it says that God is going to drive out these people before you, it names off seven different nations that represent the Canaanite peoples. And so seven from a Gentile perspective can represent the fullness of the Gentiles. And so we're feeding now with seven loaves of bread and we get up seven basketfuls left over, which I think is a way of saying we're in a Gentile setting. We're going to use some Gentile numbers. We're feeding the full community of the Gentiles, just like we fed the full community of Jews, the same kinds of food, the same kinds of things are being fed. And and there's seven basketfuls left over. And so there's this completion where it says, you know, God's, Jesus' message is is enough for everyone. And there's enough left over, again, for everyone, for this full representation. And then we had the 4,000, and and you may have remembered that 1,000 can represent this complete community. It's 10 times 10 times 10. The number 10 itself is combining 7 and 3, the number of completion, 7. The number of community, 3. So 10 kind of already starts talking about a complete, complete community. And just to further emphasize that it's this complete, complete, complete community, it's 10 times 10 times 10. It gets you to a thousand. A thousand is a Jewish way of expressing all of this particular community. And because it's a four... That's the four corners of the earth, the four points on a compass, north, south, east, and west, meaning not here, not part of God's people, but away from here, the Gentile parts of earth. This 4,000 is supposed to completely represent the full Gentile community, yet Jesus is still feeding them the exact same way he fed the Jews. The exact same food source having tremendous amounts left over. There's enough of my teaching of the way that I feed people. There's enough for everyone, not just for all of the Jews, which he just gave out earlier, but enough for all of the Gentiles as well. And we have some other places and, and chapter 16 has again additional stories that i think is expressing how jesus has kind of changed a little bit of his focus not that he's gone away from reaching out to the to the jews and ministering to them and for that to even be his primary focus i think is very much upon the 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 lost sheep of israel but he also realizes that the gentiles can be fed too there's enough of his teaching to feed the Gentiles with the crumbs. There's enough to give them, to sustain them, to point them to God, for them to see what God is doing and how much God loves them and cares about them. And so he starts making sure that this message is expressed to Gentiles as well. And I think starts to say even more profound things about, about what he wants to do amongst the Gentiles when we get to the stories in chapter 16. So Jesus is continuing to minister. He's continuing to have enough, but he's realizing more and more that what he has is for everyone. And he wants to teach his disciples that so that they understand, so that instead of being worried about being in a pagan city, about being in the Decapolis, about being somewhere as worse as Caesarea Philippi, which is where they're headed next, That God is still working and moving and feeding all people. This message is for everyone. And Jesus is going to keep showing his disciples that throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. So keep listening as we hear even more and more about how Jesus' message is for everyone. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.